Welcome back to Home Church Sunday Morning Bible Study as we continue our look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today we'll pick up in chapter 5. Now, remember, we've just come out of this litany where Paul has described to us what it is that we as followers of Christ should be doing, what we should be like. And now he's going to turn that a little bit on its head and give us an example of what we should not be doing, what we should not be like, which perhaps is less fun to talk about but at least as important. So join me, if you will, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, where Paul writes these words. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So with this, Paul ties a bow on that idea of all the things we should do that are like Christ and ultimately says we should walk in or live in love. But this walking in or living in love is not just the positive things we do, but it's also the negative things that we do not do because we are followers of Jesus. And so he makes this turn in verse number three. But, Paul says, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, or of greed. For these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, there should be thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, Anytime we get in a list of sins, and Paul does this in several of his letters, there is always the idea of why these sins? There's plenty of sins Paul could have picked out. Sometimes it has to do with the audience to which he's writing. When he writes the Corinthians, there's particular sins boiling up in Corinth that he wants to address. And perhaps that's the case in Ephesus as he writes these particular sins to the Ephesians, but we don't necessarily get that feeling. It's more just that these particular sins that Paul's talking about here in this section are sins that perhaps are true in all places at all times. And certainly this particular list of sins is applicable to you and to me right here and right now where we are living. So what is it that Paul says? What sins is it that we should have nothing to do with? He says, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Now, sexual ethics is such a heated topic, and it's such an important one because we can veer off the course in one direction or the other very, very easily. It can be very easy for Christians in response to all the sexual promiscuity in the world to decide we're going to make sex dirty and terrible and, and tell people to stay away from it. And that is not God's good purpose. That is to veer off the road on one side. 
And on the other side, we can say, ah, oh, well, the world's got this idea that sex is just whatever you want it to be, and we should just not judge anybody, let everybody do whatever they want, free love. And that is to veer off on the other side. And so Paul permits us to have this sexual ethic, this Christian sexual ethic, that sex is a good gift of God given to us for the purposes of Christian marriage. But that was not how sex was used in the ancient world. And for much of the world today, that is not how sex is lived out. In the ancient world to which Paul is writing, where the Ephesians lived, sexuality for women was pretty standard. You had sex only in the confines of marriage. But for many, many men in this day and age, sex was whatever you wanted it to be. Concubines, prostitutes, of course you kept your wife or wives for your legitimate children, but anything goes otherwise. And Paul says to the Ephesians, this should not be so for you. Let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity in your lives. This idea that we should be different starts with this sexual ethic and is important in this sexual ethic because this idea that we can do whatever we want is not God's best for us. And this idea carries forward into the next thing that Paul says. It's not just about sexuality and sexual ethics. It's also about greed. Don't even let there be a hint of greed. And greed is the idea that you can never get enough, that you always want more. That if there's something to be had, we can have it. And brothers and sisters, the truth is, if there's any sin that our culture has baptized as okay, it is greed. You remember that famous movie quote, greed in a word is good. That is what our culture has decided, that the accumulating of stuff is a good thing to do. It fuels the market. It feeds the economy. We should be consumers. But Paul says that this idea, both the sexual immorality idea of taking more than just the good gift that God's given us, and this idea of greed on the whole, whether it has to do with sexual ethic or with finances or with anything else, is idolatry. And why is it that these things are idolatry? It is because God has given us sufficiently what we need. Remember the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And when we start grabbing hold of, of sexual identity that's outside of God's good purpose for us, when we start seeing others as objects to be used for our satisfaction rather than one created in the image of God, when we reach out and start grabbing hold of whatever we can get our hands on financially, when we start accumulating stuff, we've missed the point of God's provision, that God and what God provides for us is enough that God has given us what we need. So we don't need to go out searching for extra sexual activity. We don't need to go out searching for more stuff to add to our collection because to do so is to put someone else or something else in the place that is God's alone. And that, I think, is why Paul calls these particular sins idolatry. He also goes on to tell us a third thing, not just sexual ethics, not just greed, but also the way that we use our mouths. Nor should there be obscenity, he says, or foolish talk or coarse joking, 
which are out of place. But instead, there should be thanksgiving. Now, this is perhaps another place where it's so easy to fall into the trap of culture. How many of us have gone through that experience of code switching, of being with a different group of people and deciding, ah, this is the perfect moment. I can start peppering my language with words I wouldn't say in kind company. I have found the perfect opportunity to tell that joke that I heard. And what Paul is saying is worthwhile, not just for teenagers who are feeling their way in the world, but for all of us adults as well that we should not be like that. Because what pours out of our mouth is coming from our heart. And if we start to let what comes out of our mouth betray what is in our heart, we quickly discover that, that our heart is fallen and away from the Lord. And so Paul says to us, don't let coarse language or, or bad words pour out of your mouth. Instead, let it be thanksgiving. Again, this is an idea that what God has given us is enough, that we don't need to fill it up with other things. This isn't to suggest that all humor is bad. Humor is a beautiful gift from God. But humor that destroys the other, that is racist or sexist or has to do with sexually impure things, those things we should get rid of from our language. We should not let them be part of what we talk about. And I know at this point it feels like Paul is meddling, that he's getting into our business. He's talking about our sex lives and talking about our wallets and talking about our language. And we don't like this. I don't like this. It's uncomfortable to have our lives exposed in such a way. But remember, the whole point that Paul's getting at here is he's told us what it's like to be Christ-like. And he's also showing us that if we are to be Christ-like, that these things just cannot be true about us. He goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This begins to ask this big question. How are Christians to interact with the world around us? This idea of separation, that Christians should be different, has been lived out in different ways by different people in different places and times. And often people have decided that this idea of being separated has to do with proximity or with geography. If we just pull ourselves out entirely, start a commune, begin to pull ourselves out in the community, then we will be different. And this has been true since the Essene community in Qumran. It's also true today of some religious sects that decide we're going to go out and be separated entirely from the world. But I don't think that Paul is necessarily calling for a geographic or physical separation. This isn't really about proximity, this separation. It's really about a separation in kind. We're called not to be partners with a fallen world, but instead to be different. And this is when we get to verse 8, which in many ways is a tight summation of all of Paul's theology, what Paul thinks that we should be about as Christians. And it is a beautiful picture. Here's what Paul says in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. There's an interesting thing in this verse, in verse number 8, that we have two different kinds of verbs. 
First of all, there's an indicative verb. There's a descriptive verb that you are the light. No more are you in darkness, but because of how God has been at work in you, because you are in Christ Jesus, you're in the light, you are the light. And this is true of us. We have been transformed in Christ Jesus. We are no longer trapped in our sins. We are different. We are dead in Christ and raised to walk in a newness of life. But then there's this second part of the verse, which is an imperative. It's an imperative of what we should be doing in response. He says, live as children of the light. You are the light. Live like it. And this gets us back to the whole idea of what we should and should not be doing, of how we should get rid of sin and instead find ourselves in righteousness. You are the light because Christ has made you the light, not by anything you have done of yourself, but because of God's work through you in Christ. So now go live like it is true. So let's read these last few verses of what we're looking at together today. Read verse 8 again. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated by the light becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want you to think for a moment about one of those dark nights. Perhaps you were out of the lake or out on a camping trip or even in your own backyard. And it was almost as bright as day. You ever... Think about those moments. And you know what is lighting up the night? Sure, there are stars, faraway stars that give the faintest glow. But there's a big rock we call the moon. And it does nothing but sit there. But because the light of the sun on some of those nights hits it so full on, it is almost as if you're in the middle of the day as the bright moon glows in the night. And I think what Paul is getting at is that We are called to be like the moon. This light, this brightness is not of ourselves, but just as the sunlight is reflected in moonlight, so the light of Christ is reflected in us. And how is it that this happens? Well, there's three steps here, I think. The first is that we are justified. We are made righteous. We are made light by the work of Jesus. And that's what Paul is getting at. You are the light. And the second is that we begin to live into that idea. That we begin to live righteousness and goodness, this fruit of the light that Paul's talking about. And then the third is that as we begin to live it, what has been declared of us begins to be true of us. That we have been declared light We begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says in another place. We begin to live as if we are light. And then in reality, even here and now, we become light. And we share light with other people. What is true in God's record book, that we are justified, becomes true in how we live our life in that we are righteous people. 
this idea that we are not to be like other people, that we are to be different, that we won't even talk about how some other people live life because that would be to elevate it and glorify it. Instead, we are to be set apart, not necessarily by physical distance, but by the way we live our life. And if we do that, then not only will we be light because God has declared it so, not only will we be light because we begin to live like Jesus, but we will be light because when we live like Jesus, we shine the light into dark places, into the lives of people who have not yet been exposed to it at all. And much like the moon, we reflect the light of Jesus and illumine the dark places. Paul ends with this little note that apparently is from some hymn or some writing that the Christians in Ephesus were familiar with. And it might be our prayer together as we see ourselves seated in dark places, but we recognize we have been made light in Christ Jesus. We're living as light and we become light for others as we try to do this thing of walking as Jesus walked, living as Jesus lived, walking and living in the way of love. Here is what Paul says. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And when Christ does that, when the light of Christ illumines us, let us be like the moon and shine that light brightly so that others may come to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.